seven times in and out of rehab. And then I finally went to my eighth one, which was in Topeka, Kansas. And it was just a lockdown facility. We couldn't do anything except, you know, we could play basketball, but we had to go with the instructors. And it just, it did something to me that it just finally caught on to me of what I needed to do. So when I left there, obviously I had nothing. I got on a bus from Missouri to Maine, um, told my ex-wife, I said, I'm moving home to Maine where I'm from. Something something has to give. I, this is my last choice or last chance or I'm going to be dead. And luckily I ran into an old high school friend in high school and he had a service dog. And I said, did it change your life? He said, it changed my life completely. And I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my dog. So... This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast. If you're looking to hear stories of hope, inspiration, and turning your greatest adversities into your advantage, well, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Jason Lachance, and through my addiction recovery and struggles with anxiety and depression, I dug into my passion of speaking with people who have transformed their lives. And my guest is Jason Howe. After two rough deployments overseas, Jason ended his U.S. Navy career in 2007. Jason suffered from TBI and post-traumatic syndrome. Jason eventually hit rock bottom in his addiction and in life, losing everything, including his children. Jason woke up not wanting to live. However, the power of D-O capital G dog came into his life, transforming the man that he once was into the man that he is now. Now a part of Canines on the Frontline, a nonprofit organization providing certified trained service dogs to military veterans who are affected by PTSD and or TBI at no cost to veterans. You're going to love Jason Howe as much as I do. Jason Howe, thanks for joining me on Knocking Doors Down. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, before we we get rolling and I ask you about gratitude, I'm seeing your sweatshirt. It says uh, Fatima Golf. Okay, so in Portuguese, we would say Fatima. So what's uh, Fatima Golf? So Fatima is a high school, an elementary school here and locally. And my, my kid plays golf for Fatima High School. So Oh, all right. I'll be darned. <laughs> uh well hey three things you're grateful for today before we get rolling i always like to start there i'm gonna have to say my higher power god uh my wife my kids and my service dog soby oh what what breed a dog he's a boxer pit mix oh wow okay i love it euthanized in a kill shelter in georgia so kind of saved two lives at the same time oh man yeah yeah, our, uh, uh, both of my dogs are uh, rescue dogs, so, you know, it's like... Great dog. Best. Yeah, so many animals that just need love, and, and they look out for you like nobody else. When you connect, oh, man, yes. <laughs> that's some love you've never experienced. Well, we're going to dig through all the different things you're doing, of course, working with canines on the front line, how that came to be, touch on some of your Navy career, but... um I want to ask a question here. You know, you speak openly about your PTSD and 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 TBI, traumatic brain injury, for for those that may not know what that acronym is. Um, what is your opinion on the length of depo- uh, deployment maybe playing a role? And the reason I ask that is one of my dear friends. He's been on the shows, a Marine. You know, over in the Middle East for it was almost two years. So when you're in that fight or flight mode for a long period of time. Um, no wonder when, when, you know, servicemen and women come back, there's a, 
a huge struggle just with the simulation shutting down that part of the brain in a healthy way. I mean, what, what, what's your take? And that definitely plays a factor. I mean, you know, I mean, when you were overseas all the time, that's all, you know, for a year, I can only imagine two years straight. Um, I was there for about 10 months mm-hmm. and just, it, just coming home and trying to go back to normal is almost impossible at first. Um, and I think a lot of it is a lot of the veterans and a lot of us don't talk about it because, you know, we're living in a daily life of, no, this is what we do. This is what we're supposed to do. Don't let it bother you because you know, this is our job and that's what we want to do. So when we come home, it's the same thing. We just, we just don't talk about it. Yeah. It's, um, I had had Tom Spooner on here and he said the same thing. That was the hardest thing. Just you, you don't, don't come home and talk about it. And oftentimes, you know, that's what really led him to the bottom of the bottle. And I'm going to assume led you towards looking to substance that led to addiction. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I'd gone to the VA so many times and just things weren't clicking. So when I got my hands on drugs, it was just one of those things that it took away the pain. I didn't feel anymore. Um, and I obviously liked it cause I didn't have to worry about what was going in my head. So, I mean, that's why we do it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to think and you know, that's, but obviously not the right thing to do. So. Yeah. Oh, no. it's, it, it's the <laughs> irony of it is because it, it feels like, I mean, you said it for me when it got to the point of, you know, not feeling like I could talk about some of these traumatic things. It felt like a solution because because you you feel good, you know, like that's why we do it. It feels good. And then eventually it stops working and you're just stuck. It's that reward loop issue that eventually you're just in this cycle where you use because you feel bad. You feel bad because you lose and that uh, use and that becomes life. Absolutely. Just one of those. It's like a vicious cycle. And, you know, that's. One reason I'm glad you do what you're, what you're doing right now, and you know, having the podcast and, and spreading that message because that's what it's all about. I think a lot of men, it's a sign of weakness if you talk about it and you're weak, and we don't ever want to be perceived as weak. But when we're going down that path of drugs or alcohol, and it becomes a full blown ad- addiction, there's no other choice except for die, or be in the hospital twenty four seven, or so you know what. I'm weak right now. I need help, but it's really not weak. It's courage. Um, you know, it's just taking that courage to say, Hey, I I'm, I'm struggling right now. I don't know what to do, but I want to get, I want to get better. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you're saying it right there. And I think it's, it's hard for anyone in general, but definitely I think more so for men and especially, you know, through my experience, uh, you know, service members or, uh, first responders, you know, police officers, paramedics here that I've seen it over and over again. And it's just, I, I don't know where you tell me, I mean, do you have a place where you think it was ingrained uh, in you maybe from an earlier age before your service? Because I just kind of remember my house. We just, we didn't really talk about things. Yeah. I was saying like, you know, growing up with my dad and stuff, it was always suck it up, move on. Things will get better. Don't worry about it. Um, so we just never talked about it. So, you know, I was adopted at a very young age. You know, my parents got divorced when I was 10 and it was one of the ugliest divorces I've ever seen or witnessed. Um, and then just dealing with that, I never talked about it because that's what I was told not to do. Don't talk about it. Just, you know, 
that persona of everything's great in our family. And, you know, as a kid at 10 years old, it wasn't great for me. It was something I needed to talk about and I just didn't. So I kept everything in. Yeah. <clears throat> well, it's tough enough. It is. I mean, how old were you when you knew you were adopted? Um, they had always told me, but I, from what I remember, probably nine, 10, 11 years old. Okay. So, I mean, I, I would think that might just bring up thoughts and feelings, let alone at that age. And then to yes. go through a divorce right then and there. I mean, that's compounded things that if we don't process, I mean, it's, it's a nice gateway to, uh, getting more and more curious about those substances that take, that can numb you out a little bit. And I was told, like, my biological mother was a drug addict. So uh, and on top of it, just kind of when I finally got the hit and the feel of what drugs would do, it was like, okay, you're addicted all over again. So mm-hmm. about what age were you when you first started experimenting? Uh, marijuana around 16. And then the harder drugs, cocaine was about 20. And then I didn't start using meth until 30 30 years old 32 years old mm. so that was post-deployment and were you did you uh you weren't enrolled in the navy anymore at that point no i was in afghanistan but i was i was back home i had already deployed so oh okay very and i got out in 2007 so oh wow so you were you a 20 year guy no i did five years oh five okay my wife and i at the time or my ex-wife uh she had a we had a kid together and then she had one on the way so she wanted me out, and I missed my first son being born by 14 hours. So I refused to see my other one be born and me not be there. So, <laughs> and then I got out in, in Missouri. So here we are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, heck. Uh, so, what's when's the point where the rails start coming off? I mean, I. You know, like the alcohol thing, it makes sense. That's primarily, you know, my area of of addiction that I suffered from um, because it's just so readily available. You know, sometimes right. it takes falling in with certain bedfellows. Um, I mean, as easy as it is now to sadly get drugs over the Internet or social media apps, um, you kind of still had to know somebody at some point. Yes, yeah, so I was actually going to college after the military, um, you know, taking night classes and stuff, getting my degree in business, and happened to run into people that they happened to be partiers, and their drug of choice was meth. And I never, never run into meth, didn't even know what it looks like. I'm from the East Coast, and, you know, cocaine and, and marijuana and stuff like that. But, you know, I said, well, what is it? What does it do? And they said, well, it's a lot like cocaine, but... You know, you smoke it, this and that. All right. So I tried it. And of course, the, the feelings went away. I had no, I was numb and anything that I was struggling with, I didn't care about. So I would smoke it for a while. But some of them would always start using the needle and they were shooting up meth. And there's one night I said, what are you guys getting that I'm not? And they said, Jason, you don't want this. I said, yes, I do. I want, I want to know what you're feeling. So as soon as I took that needle, I mean, excuse my language, the first word I said was, I'm fucked. Um, just, it was an intense, intense feeling, and I didn't think I could stop. Didn't know how to stop. Um, ended up losing my house. I had a beautiful house in a neighbor, nice neighborhood. Um, I had a job at the VA hospital, uh, working as a peer support specialist. 
Um, I quit that before I got fired just because I knew if they found out, I just said, hey, I need help. So I went through rehab there. Didn't did success didn't uh, didn't go through it very successfully. I think more ma- mainly is because I worked there, so everybody saw me as the worker, and now I'm a patient, and I just I wouldn't wouldn't do anything right. So mm-hmm. seven times in and out of rehab, and then I finally went to my eighth one, which was in Topeka, Kansas, and it was just a lockdown facility. We couldn't do anything except you know we could play basketball, but we had to go with the instructors, and it just did something to me that it just finally caught on to me of what I needed to do. So when I left there, obviously I had nothing. I got on a bus from Missouri to Maine, um, told my ex-wife, I said, I'm moving home to Maine where I'm from. Something, something has to give. I, this is my last choice or last chance. Or I'm going to be dead. And luckily I ran into an old high school friend in high school and he had a service dog. And I said, did it change your life? He said it changed my life completely, and I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my dog. So, wow, that was just an awesome feeling. And you know, I was there for a year in Maine, and went to the program. My service dog and I went to the. Um, we graduated the top of our class. I said, "I'm moving back to Missouri, and I want to start the program in Missouri." So I won't get too much into that because I know we're going to talk about that later. But yeah, here we are today. So. Knocking Doors Down by Carlos Vieira. Now available wherever you get audiobooks. I wasn't done partying, and I didn't want the binge to end. I think I knew that when I finally got home, I'd have to face what I had done, and I wasn't ready to do that. Being responsible for my actions wasn't something I was looking forward to. I had abandoned my wife and baby, my family, and my business. I wanted to avoid the shame of returning to what I had left behind. Even though I was not yet going home, I wasn't sure I had enough resources to continue the binge. Click the link in the podcast description to find out more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thank you for sharing that because I think it's so important. Hopefully, you know, the listener got from it what I did. You know, it's that that really... It's funny because we think of the term service dog or animal or whatever, that they're a service to us. And no, 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 no. It's the other way around because it got you out of your own way to Absolutely. work with your dog. And 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 like addicts, you know, if it's newcomers that I meet at Celebrate Recovery or whatever it is, reach out to me. I'm like, you got to find the things that first and foremost to get you out of your own way. Because yeah. we know how, like you said, to fuck it up real quick. Yep. No, absolutely. Most of the time, it's us. I mean, 90, 99% of the time, it's always us. <clears throat> but, you know, I would I would sit in my house with the curtains closed and not go outside, wouldn't do anything. And then when I got her, it was like, okay, I got to take her out to go to the bathroom. Well, now she wants some exercise. So let's take her for a walk. And uh, when we were going through the training program in Maine, they, we went to an event called Hops and Hounds, and I think we were in a six-week of training, and the, the founders in Maine 
they said, Jason, if you want to go, you can come with us. Said, All right. So I went, you know, trying to try to get out in the public. And so I was sitting in the back and they were talking to people and, you know, selling shirts and talking about the program. And the, the uh, Dr. Hagenblasik, who's the president, he had to leave. So he went somewhere. So now it's me and the vice president, Linda Murray. And she goes, Jason, I'll be right back. Okay. Whoa. Where are you going? She goes, I'm going to get myself a soda. Do you want one? I said, no, I'm good, but I'm here by myself. She goes, yeah. I said, well, what do I do? And she goes, you talk to people. <laughs> I don't do all that. <laughs> right? I'm like praying, like nobody show up to the booth. And of course, a family of four showed up. And a little girl, only thing she asked me was, what's your dog's name? And I said, Sobe. And then I just kind of sat back, like, don't ask me any more questions. And the mother said, what does she do to help you? And I think at that point in time, it was, we were still in training. So I started doing all my training stuff with her and everything she was doing to help me. And I never had to say a word. Just I was showing them what she does to help me. And the next thing I know, there's all kinds of people sitting at the booth watching me train with my dog. And I didn't even realize they were there. So Linda came back and she goes, you were awesome. I said, you don't ever do that to me again. <laughs> that courage I needed, right, to be able to loosen up and just have fun with my dog and people aren't worried about me and or anything like that. They're generally generously or generally curious on how that dog was helping me. So Yeah. Uh and those trial by fire things are I think they're they're vital. I you know, I it's it's funny all the, you know, being in front of people that I do, you know, for the longest time hosting a concert or an event. There was a cocktail or two in me at least, you know, uh, and now that's not an option. I have to kind of find the the different thing. And, and um, you know, it was definitely a trial by fire. Like, oh, I got I got no no shield here, no courage juice. I just got to go and and do it and be in front of people. And it's almost to a certain extent become a replacement in a lot of ways. Yes. Yeah, I've definitely got definitely got addicted to the dog training. Um, when I came back to Missouri, I actually went to school and became a master dog trainer. Um, and now, you know, what we're doing now in training veterans and their dogs, but um, Sobe being two days away from being euthanized, in 2021, she actually won Service Dog of the Year for American Humane Hero Dog Awards. So she's been on the Hallmark Channel, and she's a local celebrity now. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, why Why was the intent to come back to Missouri and, and bring this there? Was it because you just saw a need in other fellow veterans because your kids were there? What was it that was it calling your heart to go back? A little bit of both. I know the type of dad I am, and that was my, you know, first and foremost, I wanted to be the dad. So that way when my kids are older, I mean, they know what I went through now. Um, they were fairly young. I think there were seven and nine at the time when I was going through my struggles. I that was the oldest. <clears throat> but they know that in life you screw up and you're going to make mistakes. It's what you do afterwards that defines the person that you are. So being that role model for my kids, you know, letting them know, hey, life, you make mistakes, but here's what you can do to recover and do better and, and move on and be the model citizen that you need to be. So that was my initial goal. And then the other one was, I didn't know of a service dog program here in Missouri at the time. So it was, let's start something there and let's help the veterans that are struggling like I did 
not have to struggle so much and give them something, give them another tool to the toolbox. I find it really disheartening and, you know, you don't have to comment on this, but I feel I need to share it that just there isn't more done, be it through government funding, private funding or whatever it is when our veterans come back and are in need of help or at least just just like some process, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's like the first part of going to rehab is generally the detox process. You don't even get started into routines and meetings and anything else, depending on what it is, maybe for a week or two, you know, uh, probably with meth, all you want to do was sleep, uh, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, I see it as no different that, that like, we need to offer something a little bit better than, Hey, thanks. Welcome back. Here's some VA benefits. Good luck. I'd have to agree. Um, you know, in the VA system, that's they're only so big, mm. and there's veterans out there. That's why, like the nonprofits that are out there, it, being funded to be able to do more things to help more veterans is definitely one hundred percent needed. Um, I think more more nonprofit facilities need to go up. I know, like Kansas City here, and then St. Louis, they have the Veterans Community Project, which is the Tiny Homes. And they, you know, they're they're housing homeless veterans and struggling veterans. So that's just one of those things that we need to keep helping the nonprofits to be able to help more veterans and kind of work with the VA system at the same time and kind of collaborate together and say what is needed, what you guys need, and have nonprofits doing what's needed the most. Yeah. Well, I I think in my experience working in nonprofit, that's some of the hardest thing is to get. It be it be it local or state or federal agencies to work with nonprofits or private entities on these causes. It's it's like, hey, we can all, we can all be in it together and make right. this world a much better place. We just remove some of that ego and focus on the individuals in need here. Yes, we've run across that a little bit with the service dogs, but fortunately, since I worked for the VA. Mm-hmm. They knew who I was. So when I started the program, I would just go up and start talking to the people that I knew would listen and it would help. Uh, we still have some issues with some of the doctors that, you know, pain pills is is what's more needed. Um, I'm living proof that that's not what's needed. <laughs> you know, I was on 10 pills before I got off, you know, got off the drugs and everything. And, and now I'm on two pills right now. Mm-hmm. And then once for burn. So pretty sure a dog did the trick and, you know, instead of working through my own struggles by talking about it. But I think trying to connect with the VA and, and, and government uh, entities to really work together, like you said, and it's needed. It's yeah. really behind, and that's not, you know, suicide rates going up, fentanyl's all over the place. Something needs to be done. Locally, I think we've had four in the past six months for suicide all men, they didn't want to talk about it. And it's just, it's one of those things. It needs to be talked about more. Yeah. Cause the reality is if everything that, uh, that is being done was working, like you said, our suicide rates wouldn't be going up. Uh, men are, uh, the, the data will show four, almost five times the amount of women. That's one too many people as far as yep. suicide in the U S and our overdose rates are going to go up again. Projected numbers probably hundred between one hundred twenty five, hundred thirty five thousand. So if everything that was was out there was working, and people like to tout that it's working, this wouldn't be the case. It's not working. It's just not. No, and that's you know shows like yours 
just getting that word out even more so people can hear it because it is needed. Um, and hopefully the government will, you know, the government agencies and everything will listen one day that there's more that needs to be done. And the people that are down in the trenches doing the work to help those people, they need to be brought up a little bit more so more things can happen to Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And if you get a lot out of this podcast, share with a friend. And don't forget the archive of interviews we have. Bam Margera, Brandon Novak, Kat Von D, Charlie Sheen, Edward Furlong, Kelly Osborne. The list goes on and on of amazing guests that have been on the podcast sharing how they have found purposeful lives. Speaking of purpose, how about a lifestyle brand with purpose? 5150 LTM. That's right. Not only is it a lifestyle brand that can fit whatever it is you're trying to achieve in life, but they give back to the community. And you, the listener of Knocking Doors Down, get 20% off every time you shop at 5150 LTM. All you have to do is use the code KDD20 at checkout and get 20% off. And how does 5150 give back to the community? Portions of the sales benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation. Their three amazing programs, the race to end the stigma, the race for autism, and the race to be drug free. More on the Carlos Vieira Foundation, go to carlosvierafoundation.org. I would personally like to see, and I'm not sure how I play a role in it. I can, I have some ideas and, and things that I'm working on maybe to incorporate, you know, uh, fitness and, and, and just community offerings, you know, outings and things like that where I'm at to try to help those suffering, be it mental health or addiction, the combination usually goes very hand in hand. But, you know, I, I, I've thought about it with, with veterans and, you know, just service members in general, first responders having a big place in my heart, like how, especially if it's long-term, you're doing that, like, how do you come back to do something different? How do you, you know, think of what you want about, you know, First Blood, the first Rambo movie, but the the end scene where Stallone's character's talking about, I could fly a gunship, I could carry a gun, I it, all these things that you made me be, I was, and then I come back here with nothing. Like, where's where's the the, the training? Where's the opportunity? Where's the funnel of, oh, Oh, wow. You worked on aircraft carriers. Did you work directly with the planes? Did you do? Well, let's see what we got at the airport. Let's see what we, you know what I'm saying? It's like, where's, where's a good pipeline to be like, you're still really valued. And it Mm -hmm. just feels to me like, thank, you know, thanks for your service. I mean, it's nice to say to a veteran and someone actively on duty, but there's gotta be more than a thank you. It just does. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. We don't ask for it. We did it because we love doing it. So, I mean, I know there's a lot of people and we're grateful for, you know, the thank yous and all that stuff, but, you know, we chose to do it and, you know, we accepted what was coming and we loved it because, you know, we want to, you know, protect the country and everything, but there's stuff that needs to be done, especially with the ones that come back and they're struggling horribly. Um, More can be done. It's just trying to figure out, where things can change and what things can be done to help more of them. I know here, um, my wife and I are actually getting ready to take over the entire organization and I have some plans. (laughs) Um, I don't want to go into too much in case it doesn't happen, but, um, to help those more that are struggling. So implement a different kind of program here that we can hopefully help even more veterans. So 
Well, let's talk about when you when you came back to Missouri and really got the the organization going there. I mean, some of the struggles that you faced and you know, the determination. And I, I just think it's so valuable to share that because I know there's a lot of people out there that want to help, but they're, you know, they're just kind of clueless where to start. Heck, I'm clueless at times where to start. So um, when I came back, it was, I'd get a little blue tent and I'd be, you know, every kind of event that was out in town, I'd go out there, but I was still at that point in time where I didn't want to talk to people a whole lot. So if they came up to the booth, I'd hand them a brochure, give a business card to them and, over the times, I'm like, okay, so something, what, what can I change? And, you know, talking to people and getting to know more people, I'd start chasing people down that didn't stop. Hey, hey, come here. Come, you want to pet the dog? You want to talk to the dog? Um, it would so be as long as I'm in a good place, I'll let people talk to them because I'm the face of the organization. And it's almost like this gives me a good talking point if they're petting my dog. I can talk to them about the program and what she's done for me and what we're doing to help others. So, my wife is always like, how do you get so many people to come over here? Like, I don't let them leave. <laughs> about the program, talk about, talk about what she's doing for me. And most of the people sit there and stay and they want to donate something. Um, you know, we sell T-shirts and hats and, you know, all that good stuff. But it's more the, the story on where we were to where we are now. And this community has swarmed us with love. So it's been amazing. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, so how how did you start? Because you do speak more publicly now. How what did you what steps did you take to get a little bit more comfortable? Um. So you know, obviously, overcoming your fears and stuff, and overcoming addiction. Um. My thought process was you have to learn to adapt and overcome, which that's part of my book that I wrote called Unleashed. But um. Tackling your fears is going to help you grow. If you're staying in the same stuck place that you're in, you're never going to be able to grow. And I know with the message that I have and where I was to where I am now, being able to speak and help more people gave me the opportunity that I needed to overcome a fear and speak to people. So, you know, I go around different schools. I go to veteran organizations, um, talking about where I was, what we're doing now, how it's helping people. You know, trying to get people not to give up. What do you think? Uh, um, uh, I, I'm curious what you think maybe a misconception about service animals is for some people. Because there seems to be, I don't know if pushback's the right kind of word, but maybe disbelief of any kind of help. My personal opinion is I think it's a lot of the fake service dogs that are out there that are given the real service dogs and bad names. So people don't want to deal with them when they come into public. Mm. Um, that's, you know, we've had that issue a couple of times here and there. Um, and it's just pretty much educating them on what they're doing to help us. Um, it's, they're not just seeing eye dogs and, you know, hearing dogs and in all that stuff that's, you know, with the ADA accepting PTSD and, and psychiatric um, help for the ADA laws. It, it's just really honestly, educating people and talking to them about what they're doing. Um, we're trying to implement something here in Missouri where there's certain organizations um, that can go through the state, pay a fee, and they're the ones that are able to certify them. So that way there's a lot less. I know like the restaurants that have a hard time trying to kick somebody out because they're worried about being sued or, or whatever if they don't really know it's the service dog. So 
I get calls often on what do we do? I'm like, if the dog's misbehaving or something it's not supposed to be doing, you're allowed to kick them out, whether it's a service dog or not. And they have to accept it. I mean, dogs are supposed to be under the table or right beside you. Um, they're not supposed to move. You're not even supposed to know they're there. I don't know how many restaurants I go to and get up and people are like, oh, wow, there's a dog there. That's <laughs> not supposed to know she's here. So if your dog's sitting on the bar stool next to you, it's probably not a service dog. So just <laughs> a lot more education needs to be brought up and, um, and talked about more on what, what the rights are for the restaurants and what the rights are for service animals. Yeah. Well, and I think at the end of the day, too, it comes back to a personal responsibility. I find it incredibly insulting for the people that are taking advantage of scenarios that, you know, they're maybe not in need of it just because they want their dog with them. You know, it's, I don't know. It's it's such a, a gray area. No, it really is. I think the, I mean, the rules are, the law is a little, little iffy on both sides. So I think they can tighten it up a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a, you know, but at the end of the day, we ask our fellow citizens to be self-governing and it's kind of like, all right, let's, let's be a little more responsible here. Could you, I don't know. I I don't know. Hey, that's just, that's just my take. Uh, so what, what's next for you? What's next for uh canines on the front line? Where are we trying to push? Sound like you said you and the missus are taking over. I know you got some things in the work you don't want to yet touch on, but but what's the what do you want to achieve here? To not leave a veteran behind. So what we want to do is we want to grow. We want to also help impact in um, into the community. You know the community that's given to us. We want to make sure we're giving back. So uh, a little slip. We want to help. You know, train the public's dogs with some of the veterans that have gone through the program, or even through the um, <clears throat> the the prison system. They have the dogs. You know, in there, those inmates get out. They have nothing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, they look at the jobs. So it's, it's here I am spilling some beans here, but, um, you know, working on, you know, helping the public and helping the veterans at the same time, giving opportunities to people that wouldn't have that opportunity because they got in trouble or they, they went to prison for a while, um, giving them the opportunity to deserve. You know, they screwed up. We all screw up. I just was fortunate not to get caught and not have to go to jail. So. <laughs> different than them except for not behind the bars so it's just one of those things of what can we do to help the community and build an even stronger foundation with what we have in our life going on right now and you know help thy neighbor yeah well and i think that's a beautiful thing you know there's i mean with the prison system i mean yeah i've known so many people that have gone through it and they're like, the only rehabilitation there is because I sought it personally. You know, I knew that I wanted to take advantage of my time here. And that's, that's not the case for all. But I think there is an amazing opportunity with service animals to to come in and maybe, you know, in, in some way to soften some hearts that have been pretty hardened through life and life circumstances and, and, and offer them a, a just a different way, a better way, because there is a better way. Oh, absolutely. And we've even had veterans that come in and they thought dogs, that's how they looked at dogs, was they're a police canine only. Hmm. Uh, dogs shouldn't be pets. Hmm. So I had this one veteran that he was a biker, um, came in and he's like, this, this isn't working, this dog's this, this dog's that. And I said, you have an amazing dog. 
We just need to get you to break down the walls so you can start working and bonding with your dog. And so he left the program right, right then. Um, it's all right. So he called me back probably six months later and he's like, Hey, can I, can I try this again? I said, yep. But are you willing to work? He goes, well, I did what you said. And I just started playing with my dog and having fun. And now I got a stronger bond with my dog and I'm understanding my dog more. So I want to get to training. And he's probably one of the best veterans that have ever come through our program. He complete, he speaks when we have, uh, you know, uh, events, for each, uh, we have like uh, a dinner each year, two dinners each year to raise money for the organization. He, I'll have him come up and speak about what it's done for him. So it's just incredible to see when you break down those walls of toughness and and let somebody into your life. Like Sobe, my service dog, she taught me how to live again. She taught me unconditional love. She taught me, you know, all that stuff. And once you can do that, it's just, it's pretty amazing to see what you can accomplish after. Yeah. Well, I mean, tell me, there's something about it when when you do engage in that way that it, it's like it connects you with with the innocence of childhood again. You know, for me, one of my first sponsors after digging through the interest of of that I had as a kid, we landed on Legos, and he's like, "Here's a gift card. Go buy and build some Legos again." And it was the thing. You know, when I do it still, I still build them not as much as I would like because they're crazy expensive, <laughs> you know, and I got mouths to feed and a root, root to keep over my head. But but there's something about when I engage in that kind of activity that I'm a guy, I like to use my hands. And so much of my job is is thinking and, you know, doing this. Sometimes I just need some darn instructions that get me from the first brick to a cool end product that I enjoy, you know, and there's I think there's a lot to be said for that. There is. I, heck, I like playing with Lincoln Logs too. <laughs> I have to go see how much how expensive they are, but um, you know, it's just like that with the dogs too. It's when you start training, and yeah, it gets frustrating because the dogs aren't doing everything you want all the time. But for some reason, because I don't have any patience at all, but when it comes to dogs, I have all the patience in the world. I can just walk up to a dog and they'll look at me and sit. And my wife is like, "How do you do that?" I don't know. I can't explain it, but you know, when working with them, it's after reading dogs for so long, you start understanding, you know, what the dog is thinking without even knowing what they're really thinking. And you can get them to pretty much to do anything you want, especially with food. I always call it, you know, tell the veterans, you guys go to work for a paycheck, right? And they're like, yeah. I said, what does a dog do? They don't get money. Use their food as their reward and you can get that dog to earn their paycheck. Anytime you ask them to do something, they know they're going to get their food. Yeah. What are some of the first steps with, with the dogs that uh, that you kind of take in the training process? Okay, so we do like the canine good citizen test. So we, we start them up, teach them how to sit down, walk on a leash, um, long distance downs, long distance sits, uh, recalls. Um, and then we also work, start in the beginning of working on the tasks. So to be a, be a service dog, you have to be provided three, two to three tasks that's related to disability. So, you know, a lot of us veterans, we don't like people behind us. So we'll have, if we're out, like, say, at Walmart going to the grocery line, the dog will sit behind us and alert us if somebody comes up behind us so we know there's somebody there. Or if I'm having a panic attack or anxiety attack, uh, mine will come up running to me and jump up on me and bring me back to the now. Uh, we have veterans that, you know, have night terrors. 
Um, I don't have those as much anymore, but I did. And my dog would get underneath my head and pop me right up like, hey, nope, right here. Um, remembering to take your pills every morning, your, your prescription um, medicine. The dog would go to the counter, sit there until you go get, get your medicine. Um, if you some of the older veterans, the Vietnam veterans, we have them picking up items for us or, um, you know, at an elevator, they'll jump up and, you know, nose the uh, the button to to get it started for them. So, wow. Uh, it's amazing. God, cool. th- what do to help you? Yeah. Such amazing creatures. It's um, yeah. What a blessing. And, and I, and I find it fascinating what you were saying about your, your wife saying, how do you get the, the dog to do that? And, and there really is kind of some unspoken posturing and, and attitude towards dogs. You know, that they, they're, I mean, they're bred in one way or another to be absurd. I mean, chihuahuas are the greatest alert dog. Something comes near and those things are crazy loud, you yes. know? So, you know, there's all kinds of dogs that were bred for different things. You see, we're not breed specific on our program. It's, mm. you know, we've had, we've had pit bulls go through the program and I know they have a bad name because of their breed and everything. And I hate that. So when we get a pit bull around, I'm like, that, that dog's going through our program because I want that. I want the education out there. Yeah. Um, and I know some people, you're never going to change their mind no matter what on the breed, but the more we can have the the well-behaved service dogs out there that are, you know, pit bulls or, or labs or German shepherds or whatever. Um, as long as they got the right fit and the right temperament to be out in town and just to chill and, and be that dog that need to be out in town and well-behaved. Why does it matter what breed it is? So, you know, every dog needs to be, be saved if they can. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's really sad because, uh, you know, pit bulls and Rottweilers out here, the ones that got the bad rap or Doberman pinchers, you know, all those. And it's, some of the most sweet, wonderful dogs, if they have the right owner. And mm-hmm. and it really, to me, has always appeared to come down to, you know, wrong owner for that dog. Yes. Yep. No, absolutely. And we've, I think we've graduated two Rottweilers, um, three Doberman Pinschers, um, several German Shepherds, uh, a couple of Belgian Malinois, and then like four or five pit bulls. So, it just, I don't know, it's kind of cool to see that because that's, you know, helping the breed out too, going, yeah, they can do a lot of things with the right people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if people want to find out more about you guys, the services you're doing, what's what's the easiest way or maybe to contact you directly? Yeah, they can um, send me an email or they can go right to our Facebook page, which is Canines on the Frontline Missouri. Um, our website's in the process of being worked on to make it more Missouri since we're taking over. Um, so, but it's canines on the frontline.org. They can, t- they can go to that and, you know, get a hold of me that way as well. So. All right. Well, we'll have all those links in the podcast description, social media, etc. Uh, Jason, you want to jump into some fun, random questions? Sure. All right. Uh, I try to pull out some different ones here cause I know you've listened. So maybe these ones you haven't heard before. Um, what is something about you that people would be surprised to learn? Maybe that you don't regularly share. I watch HGTV a lot with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Any particular shows? Um, and then uh, what's that? Uh, Magnolia. Make, make the other show. Yeah, Main Cabin Masters. Okay. 
watch that all the time. I grew up with the guys that are on the show. So it's oh, really? Cool see them on TV. Jedi was actually my goalie in in hockey when we played up and played in high school. So I'll be darned. Yep, he was pretty cool. But yeah, that's she likes watching. Uh, was it the Gaines lady? I can't remember her first name. Joanna Gaines, I think. Okay. So all the you know how they remodel things and and get that set up. So yeah, not too many people know, but they do now. <laughs> uh yeah that's kind of the one when we go visit my mom that's what she tends to have it's that and, and it's not the hallmark channel anymore some other one will like it or forget america or something so that that's usually what's on you know so uh, i'll be done um do you currently like see any bad habits people that i got asked this question and one guy's like has to be something i go well i don't exercise and i go ah sugar I still love sugar. It's still the hardest thing for me to break to this day. I'd have to say food. Yeah. You know, we have a gym downstairs in our basement, and life gets busy and quite not doing as much as we want. And food and staying healthy and just eating, you know, the portions and stuff. That's I love pizza. So when my kids are here. They eat the pizza, and I'm like, "Well, you left a couple. I'm gonna eat them." <laughs> <laughs> That's been the hardest thing is trying to stay fit and clean. But then when the kids come over, it goes right out the door. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's tough. Yeah. Anybody goes, uh, ice cream, milkshakes. I'm like, yeah, I'll drive. What? Let's yep. go. <laughs> Gets me every time. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, did you ever have a nickname at any point in life? Yes. Chubby. <laughs> My dad. <laughs> it's a funny story right? okay six three hundred ninety pounds um so growing up they called him chubby just because he was so skinny so in high school i was chubby so of course you know i got my nickname after my dad but i was also chubby and I still am so chubby was my nickname in high school <laughs> <laughs> had it on my license plate in my car and everything so <laughs> 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 At least you got a good sense of humor about it. Huh? Yep. <laughs> uh, do you have a bucket list of any kind? And if so, what are a couple items that might be on it? Um, I haven't been to Vegas, and I want to do the um, uh, what's the zip lining through Vegas? That's that's one thing I, I said I've always wanted to do, and just see the lights as you're traveling past it. So nice. I'll meet you there. All right. <laughs> I'm into it. That's totally it. I, if you were going to throw in and go to the Formula One race, it'd be like, oh, it, Jason, let's go. We're meeting up. That's uh, that's two of my items there. Uh, uh, who inspires you? Um, I would say a lot of the veterans that I work with. Um, just because they all come from a different place on earth but they're all one unique system but the ones that are really that will really dig down like deep down in the trenches um that have brought their lives back up i think seeing that witness it at first hand i think just it inspires me so much to keep doing better and to keep doing the stuff i'm doing because it's obviously making a, a huge impact on other people's lives so being able to see them change and it just makes me want to do it even more. Absolutely. Uh, let's do one more here before I leave you with the final thoughts. Um, 
dinner with any one person, who would it be and why? <laughs> Wife's going to hate me for this, but uh, <laughs> Carrie Underwood. <laughs> okay. I saw her on American Idol and uh, just fell in love. And I said, you know, I'm going to meet her one day and I'm going to have dinner with her. <laughs> All right. I mean, amazingly talented woman and, you know, uh, definitely, uh, you know, speaks her mind. I think it would be an engaging conversation for sure. But as far as a man, I'd like to meet Robin Williams if he was still here just to go through his his head and, you know, all the stuff he, uh, you know, did for movies and everything and just kind of pick his brain and listen to him. And he seemed like such a, you know, kind, sweet loving compassionate person he did yeah. so unique type of person so yeah all right jason well this is where i give you the floor uh anything else that you would like to add maybe lend to uh anyone out there that, that that's struggling or maybe they have a loved one that's struggling that you would want to share yeah if you have somebody out there that's struggling don't give up don't give up on them um be that one person. I needed one person to say, Hey, we have you. Um, so letting people know, you know, about your show, what I'm doing over here with helping veterans and, you know, my book that I wrote along with, you know, speaking and stuff, it's just getting that message out there that they're never alone. So I, I can almost guarantee you that somebody called you at two o'clock in the morning, you're going to pick up the phone and help them. Yeah. So it, just be impatient. Take that one person that could change somebody's life. Yeah. And be that person. absolutely. Oh, and I forgot to ask about the book. So, uh, been a uh, book proceeds benefit the nonprofit as well. Yes, they do. So everything we're making goes right back to helping the nonprofit. And we're currently in the middle of writing a book on Sobe, um, a children's book as well. So everything will go right back to helping more veterans. But the name of the book is Unleash: The Powerfully Simple Path to Adapt and Overcome Trauma, Addiction, and the Silent Battle with Mental Illness. Thank you, good sir. This has been a been a real pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. On that note, keep knocking doors down, people. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast, featuring celebrities, experts, and everyday people who have overcome adversities, including addiction, mental health, and trauma, to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about. <laughs>